Attention lovers of mysteries, I certainly count myself as one. In recent years, I've become flat-out addicted to British and Scottish mystery novels, movies, and TV shows. And the natural extension of those is a game that allows me to experience the mystery instead of just reading it or watching it. Don your own detective hat in June's Journey, a free, hidden-object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. It's set in the glitz and glamour of the Roaring Twenties, and you play as June, deciphering clues and uncovering secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. New chapters are added to the game each week, and you can personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. Download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Devil Ants Hatfield sent another letter to Perry Klein. The first one had been an apology for the murder of a McCoy. It seemed to express genuine sympathy and regret. This one was different. It was a warning. It said, We take no pleasure in hanging dogs, but we know you, and have counted the miles and marked the tree. It was signed, Logan County Regulators. The letter claimed there were 49 men in the group, and the name was chosen carefully. Regulators was an old term that was used by local groups who resisted government oppression. In this context, the name was an indictment of Perry Klein. It meant Klein had gone beyond the local community and involved powerful outsiders in the affairs of the Tug Valley. Those outsiders had no business sticking their noses into this conflict. Perry Klein had marshaled the leaders of Pikeville and the governor of Kentucky against the Hatfields of Logan County, West Virginia. The regulators were going to defend the Hatfields. But the letter and the threat of the regulators did not intimidate Perry Klein, especially when he had his fellow ward, Bad Frank Phillips, on his side. Very soon, Klein and Phillips would attack the Hatfields in their own separate ways, but not before the Hatfields inflicted more damage on the McCoys. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples, especially in the spring when the pollen from desert plants here in Arizona is off the charts. I get all the classic symptoms, coughing, sneezing, runny nose, itchy eyes, and a pressure buildup in my head. The works. Luckily for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. The double-action combination of prescription-strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. From Black Barrel Media, this is Infamous America. I'm your host, Chris Wimmer, and this is a six-part series on the most infamous family feud in American history. 
the Hatfields and McCoys. This is episode four, A Savage Region. Colonel John Dills and his two wards, Perry Klein and Frank Phillips, had urged the governor of Kentucky to take action against the Hatfields of West Virginia. Two weeks after Perry received the ominous letter from the Logan County regulators, the governor acted. He issued warrants for the men who had executed Randall McCoy's three sons. He sent extradition requests to the governor of West Virginia, and he offered rewards for the Hatfields. But the action that had the biggest impact came from the local level. Perry Klein pressed the Pike County court system to appoint a special deputy to go after the Hatfields. He had the perfect man in mind, the other ward of Colonel John Dills, Bad Frank Phillips. Frank Phillips was 25 years old in 1887. His father had been killed while serving under Colonel Dills in the Civil War. After the war, Dills became the legal guardian of young Frank. It was common in the Tug Valley to attach nicknames like good or bad to the front of someone's name. In Frank's case, his nickname was well-earned. By the time he entered the feud at age 25, he'd been divorced twice. He was called Bad Frank Phillips because of his cruelty, his public drunkenness, and his poor treatment of women. As the new special deputy, he wasn't driven by a desire to maintain law and order. He just wanted to hunt down Devil Ants Hatfield. He was Perry Klein's muscle, plain and simple. But Perry Klein, as a lawyer, probably wanted the formal channels to run their courses before he turned Bad Frank loose. The governor of Kentucky petitioned the governor of West Virginia to extradite the Hatfields. The governor of West Virginia delayed any action on the petition. And the credit for the delay filters down to Devil Ants Hatfield. Ants pushed one of his local supporters through the election process, possibly by intimidating voters at gunpoint. Ants got his man elected to the state legislature. From there, the man became assistant secretary of state, which put him right next to the governor. Devil Ants told his man to tell the governor to refuse the extradition. The governor began using a series of delaying tactics. They were legal, but they were also infuriating to Perry Klein and Bad Frank Phillips. On December 12th, 1887, Perry and Bad Frank decided they were done waiting. They gathered a posse and crossed the Tug River into West Virginia. They had bench warrants for the Hatfields, but they were sidestepping the formal extradition process, which made their actions illegal. But for all their bluster about capturing Hatfields, they came home with just one man, and he was a McCoy. They caught Selkirk McCoy, the man who supposedly defected and voted with the Hatfields during the infamous hog trial 10 years earlier. The people of Pikeville, Kentucky were not thrilled with the result. They didn't like Bad Frank anyway, and now they wanted him gone. He was stripped of his special deputy status, but that didn't mean he was gone. He still went on raids against the Hatfields, and they would have deadly consequences soon. But at the moment, Devil Ants tried to broker a peace agreement. His clan was nearly in a panic over the raids by Phillips and bounty hunters and other detectives. He wanted it to stop, so he sent another message to Perry Klein. He had first tried an apology to get Perry to back off. 
Then he tried a threat. Now he tried a bribe. If Perry got the governor to withdraw the rewards for the Hatfields and call off the hunt, Devil Ants would give Perry $225. That would be about $6,500 today. Perry Klein took the deal. But unfortunately for Devil Ants, it didn't stop the hunt. The governor of Kentucky would not back off. Either Perry had lost his influence with the governor, or the governor thought he was in too deep to stop now. But the bribe didn't work. So when Plan A failed, the Hatfields went to Plan B. It was a bad plan to begin with, and it set the stage for a war. The Hatfields had been sleeping with one eye open for quite some time now, and they were tired of it. They never knew when the next bounty hunter might get close enough to take a shot. They didn't know when the next raiding party would cross the Tug River. Their attempts to stop the extradition process by going through Perry Klein had failed, so they decided to go to the source, Randall McCoy. Even though Perry Klein was more powerful in Pike County, the feud was between the Hatfields and the McCoys. If the Hatfields could do something with Rannell, they might be able to end the feud. The Hatfields decided to raid Rannell McCoy's farm. For the first time, they would go directly at Rannell at his home. And like many events in this story, we don't know what they meant to do. We only know what they did. A group of younger men led the posse. John C. and Cap Hatfield were at the forefront. They brought two of their younger brothers with them, as well as four more supporters, and the most controversial figure of the feud, Jim Vance. As the saga of the feud was remade over the generations, Jim Vance became a larger part of the overall story and became a prominent villain on the Hatfield side. Over the years, he went from being a smaller character on the edge of the story to being a leading man. He became a kind of Darth Vader to Devil Ants' emperor. He was Devil Ants' uncle, and he was 12 years older than Ants. His role grew out of the story of the murder of Harmon McCoy. In the earliest days, the best guess was that Devil Ants' militia unit killed Harmon McCoy, the younger brother of Rannell. And if it was Devil Ants' unit, then it was easy to assume that Devil Ants pulled the trigger himself. But in later years, as stories about the feud became wildly exaggerated in the newspapers, the role of Jim Vance expanded. Eventually, the story said he was the man who murdered Harmon McCoy, even though military records strongly indicate he was nowhere near Harmon's house at the time of the killing. But once that idea was accepted, his role grew even more. He became an all-fire, colorful character who hated McCoys with a passion. Before long, he sounded like the most savage man to ever walk the Tug Valley. Whatever his involvement was up to this point, he was definitely about to step forward. Jim helped lead the raid on Randall McCoy's farm with Johnsy and Cap Hatfield. And whatever they intended with the raid, it led to more devastation for the family of Randall McCoy. On New Year's Day, 1888, the gang of Hatfield stopped at Cap's house to eat. It was somewhere between four and five in the afternoon, which meant the sun would have been setting and the shadows growing deeper in the Tug Valley. After their meal, they continued the journey to Randall McCoy's farm. 
They crossed ridges and creeks as the full moon rose high in the sky. When they made it to the edge of Randall's property, they tied their horses and put on masks. Now they were hooded figures moving through the shadows of the trees. Randall's house was a large cabin built in the old dog trot style. It looked like two small cabins connected by an open breezeway. Cap Hatfield and a young man named Ellison Mounts guarded the back door. Two more Hatfields watched the kitchen door that opened into the breezeway. John C. Hatfield and Jim Vance took the front door. When they were all in position, someone shouted to the McCoys to come out and surrender as prisoners of war. But they might not have had the chance. According to legend, John C. Hatfield was pretty drunk that night, and the story says that he fired the first shot. When the bullet slammed into the house, Randall McCoy's son Calvin leapt into action. At 25 years old, he was the oldest son in the house. He ran up to the top story of the home with his Winchester rifle and fired through a window. Calvin managed to hit John C. Hatfield in the shoulder. On the ground floor, Randall McCoy fired out the front door. As the father and son team poured fire out the front of the house, Jim Vance ran around the side of the house. He found some cotton drying, and he struck a match and lit it on fire. He shoved it into a hole in the front of the house. Tom Chambers tried to help the arson attempt. He grabbed a large pine knot from a wood pile and scrambled onto the roof. He lit the pine knot and tried to smash it through a shingle in the roof. But a blast from inside knocked him down and blew off three of his fingers. After that, Tom was done fighting for the night. He dropped his torch and ran into the woods. His attempt to help burn the house had failed, but Jim Vance's had been successful. Flames ripped through the front of the McCoy home. The McCoy women used up all the water in the house to fight the fire, but it still wasn't enough. They needed more from outside. Randall's 30-year-old daughter, Alifair, ventured out of the kitchen door. She shouted that she recognized Cap Hatfield's voice. Reportedly, Cap and John C. Hatfield told Ellison Mounts to shoot her. Ellison was mentally challenged, and he was eager to fit in with the Hatfields. He often accepted a dare or did what he was told without question. And he might have done that now. Someone fired a shot, and Alifair collapsed to the ground. In the house, her sister screamed that Alifair had been killed. Sally McCoy rushed outside to her daughter. On the way, one of the Hatfields cracked her over the head with a butt of his gun. The act was usually attributed to the villainous Jim Vance, but it's hard to know for sure. As Sally lay on the ground bleeding, she realized her daughter was dead, and she was about to lose another child that night. As the house burned behind her, Calvin McCoy burst out of the cabin and ran for the corn crib. He was shot in the head and died instantly. His dash from the house was thought to be more about saving his father than saving himself. As the attention was focused on Calvin, Randall McCoy escaped the collapsing house and fled into the woods. The Hatfields fled the scene as well, leaving the McCoys dead or injured or scattered behind them. When the Hatfields made it home, Ellison Mounts, who was known mostly as Cottontop, said, Well, we killed the boy and girl, and I'm sorry of it. We have made a bad job of it. There will be trouble over this. There was more trouble than he could imagine. <laughs> 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Neighbors saw the fire against the night sky. They hurried to the McCoy farm and found the home in crackling ruins. They helped Randall with his wife, Sally. She'd been badly wounded in the attack. Her skull was severely injured, and her arm and hip were broken. But the injuries and the loss of a home weren't as bad as the loss of life. Two more of their children were dead. That made five children of Raynal and Sally McCoy who'd been killed in the feud. Tolbert, Bud, and Farmer had been executed by Devil Ants. Now Calvin and Alifair had been killed in a raid led by Devil Ants' sons. The raid became known as the New Year's Night Raid, or the New Year's Massacre. Two days after the killings, the McCoys buried Calvin and Alifair in the family cemetery about 300 feet from their ruined home. Sally McCoy still hadn't seen a doctor, and she was suffering badly. Randall loaded her into a wagon and drove her to Pikeville. He took her to the home of Perry Klein. Randall's daughter, Rosanna, whom he'd basically disavowed years earlier, was living and working at the Klein home. She cared for Perry's children, and now she began to nurse her mother back to health. For Randall, the move to Pikeville was permanent, he never lived on his farm again. With the McCoys in town, Perry Klein and Frank Phillips sprung into action. Klein went first. He wrote letters to elected officials and sent a detailed account of the raid to newspapers. Newspapers across the country ran wild with his story. One headline shouted, a terrible tragedy perpetrated in Pike County by desperados. Another just said, a murderous gang. Public opinion quickly turned against the Hatfields. The facts were awful enough, but reporters embellished the details with new levels of horror and intrigue. A reporter for the New York World wrote, I have been in Murderland for 10 days. No one would believe that there in this country was such a barbarous, uncivilized, and wholly savage region. The reporter was T.C. Crawford, he was the only one who actually sat across the dinner table from Devil Ants Hatfield. Reporters from all over the eastern seaboard flocked to the Tug Valley to get the story of the Hatfield-McCoy feud, but Crawford was the only one who secured an interview with Devil Ants. The other feuds in the area got regional coverage, but the Hatfields and McCoys went national. Feud violence was big business, and it sold newspapers like hotcakes. Readers seemed to be just as interested in the lifestyles of the people of Southern Appalachia as their feuds. Reporters filled their stories with lurid details of exotic mountain life. It was like a glimpse into a secret society, and readers in New York and Chicago and San Francisco and everywhere else ate it up. And this is how and when many stereotypes of the people in Appalachia began. Perry Klein and various McCoys started to tell the story of the feud from their perspective. Across the Tug River, 
the Hatfields started to tell it from their perspective. You'd probably be shocked to hear that they didn't always line up. Unfortunately for Perry Klein, his media campaign backfired. He had hoped reporters would come to the valley and see the Hatfields as primitive criminals. Conversely, he hoped the reporters would see Pikeville as a progressive town that was ready to embrace new and modern industries. But it didn't happen. Reporters painted everyone in the area with the same brush. They called the people white savages who never closed a day without a drunken fight. Some wrote that all women were revolting in appearance and personality. As Perry Klein's indirect attack began to fail, Bad Frank Phillips began a direct attack. He went straight at the Hatfields on their own land. Frank Phillips still considered himself an agent of the governor of Kentucky, even though the people of Pike County had officially fired him as a special deputy. Ten days after the deadly New Year's raid, Bad Frank gathered about 30 men for a counter-raid. Many of these men were not McCoys. They wanted the reward money, or the action, or both. They rode across the Tug River to West Virginia in search of Hatfields. The first people they found were Jim Vance and Cap Hatfield. Jim and Cap and Jim's wife were walking on a trail between Jim's house and Cap's house. Jim's wife was out in front, and she spotted the posse first. She yelled back at the two men to take cover. Jim and Cap began firing at the incoming posse. Frank Phillips scored a direct hit on Jim Vance. He shot Jim in the stomach. Jim screamed at his wife and Cap Hatfield to get away. They ran through the woods and barely escaped. But Jim was gut shot. He wasn't going anywhere. The posse had won the brief battle, and now Jim Vance was at the mercy of Bad Frank Phillips. Bad Frank walked up to Jim and shot him in the head. The killing of Jim Vance delayed whatever extradition process might have been in the works. After the violent New Year's raid conducted by the Hatfields, the governor of West Virginia could no longer defend them. But after Perry Klein had been bribed and Frank Phillips had killed Jim Vance, the governor clearly couldn't trust the McCoy faction in Kentucky either. He was stuck. Devil Lance had not been part of the New Year's raid, and he hadn't been present for the murder of Jim Vance, but he was still the leader of the Klan. He sent word to the governor of West Virginia that the score was now even. He said there was just as much evidence against the McCoys as there was against the Hatfields. It was time to stop the extradition and end the feud. Meanwhile, Bad Frank Phillips felt emboldened by the killing of Jim Vance. He and his posse thundered into West Virginia and grabbed numerous Hatfield supporters. One of them was Tom Chambers, who had tried to light the roof of Randall McCoy's house on fire during the New Year's raid. But as hard as Bad Frank tried, he couldn't catch Devil Ants. His relentless raiding did lead to an unexpected surrender, though. Devil Ants' older brother, Valentine Wall Hatfield, turned himself into Bad Frank Phillips. Wall had been indicted as one of 20 men who were responsible for the execution of the three McCoys. He'd been at the log schoolhouse while the young men were held hostage, 
but he had not participated in the actual killings. He was a justice of the peace, and he'd been part of the legal system for nearly two decades. He thought he'd receive favorable treatment if he surrendered to the law instead of hiding like a fugitive. But more important than that, he no longer wanted to be associated with his younger brother. Devil Lance's family had crossed the line with the New Year's raid. Wall Hatfield sent word to Perry Klein and Frank Phillips that he was willing to come in if he could be arrested right before his trial so he wouldn't have to languish in jail. Perry and Frank basically said no. Wall was arrested at his house and taken to the Pikeville jail like all the others who'd been caught by Bad Frank. The core group around Devil Ants was shrinking. And it's easy to think that every Hatfield and every McCoy was involved in the feud. But that wasn't the case. Devil Ants had two younger brothers who had absolutely nothing to do with it. But of the others, he was down to just one who was still with him. His older brother Wall was in jail, and his younger brother Ellison was dead. So was his uncle Jim Vance. Devil Ants needed to protect the rest of his clan from the raids of bad Frank Phillips. He went to the Logan County government for help. The county leaders were not eager to help Devil Ants, but they also hated the raids by bad Frank. They were furious that their county had been repeatedly invaded. They instructed a constable to form a posse to patrol the West Virginia side of the Tug River. The posse was supposed to stop the raids and it had a murder warrant for Bad Frank Phillips for the killing of Jim Vance. So with Bad Frank launching raids from Kentucky and a posse guarding West Virginia, a showdown was inevitable. It happened just 10 days after the murder of Jim Vance. Next time on Infamous America, the McCoys of Kentucky fight the Hatfields of West Virginia in the Battle of Grapevine Creek. It's all been building to this. It's the last major conflict of the feud, but it's not the end of the story. There are prison sentences and a hanging and an unprecedented legal battle that goes all the way to the Supreme Court. That's next week on the Hatfields and McCoys. And members of our Black Barrel Plus program don't have to wait week to week. They receive the entire season to binge all at once with no commercials. Sign up now through the link in our show notes or on our website, Black Barrel Media. Memberships begin at just $5 per month. This season was researched and written by Jen Laverance. Script editing by Christopher Markakis. Audio editing and sound design by Dave Harrison. Original music by Rob Valier. I'm your co-writer, host, and producer, Chris Wimmer. Find us at our website, blackbarrelmedia.com, or on our social media channels. We're Black Barrel Media on Facebook and Instagram, and B-Barrel Media on Twitter. And you can stream all our episodes on YouTube. Just search for Infamous America Podcast. This show is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Please visit airwavemedia.com to check out other great podcasts like Ben Franklin's World, Once Upon a Crime, and many more. Thanks for listening.
Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big